0: You're listening to The Corbett Report.
1: CorbettReport.com
0: Welcome, my friends, to another edition of The Corbett Report. I am your host, James Corbett, podcasting to you, as always, from the sunny climes of western Japan on this 9th day of July, 2011. I would like to, once again, welcome all of the listeners to this podcast, and invite all of you, as always, to check into my website. CorbettReport.com, where you can find previous episodes of this podcast, as well as articles, interviews, and videos that I have created and conducted in the past four years, and links to other websites like TragedyAndHope.com, where you can find independent alternative media sources. I would like to once again, as always, thank all of those listeners for their support and their feedback over the previous week, and once again remind people that of course I don't have time to correspond with everyone who writes into the website, but I really do appreciate your tips, links, and thoughts, so please keep them coming in. And also, of course, I always greatly appreciate all of the support I get from the subscribers, people who donate 100 Japanese yen per month to keep this Corbett Report going, and those who buy a copy of my DVD to help support this work and to get something that you can hand out to others and use in the information war. And on that note, I would also like to let people know that I will be going on a summer hiatus, and it will be starting later this month. So towards the end of the month, I'll be going on a three-week summer hiatus, and I hope to have a video or two up my sleeve to drop during the time of my hiatus. But other than that, the website will be mostly not updated for a few weeks. There will be no new podcast episodes and no interviews during that time. So so uh, once again, I'll be recharging the batteries and coming back better than ever. But uh, once again, there will be a podcast episode next week. But after that, there will be no podcast episodes until mid-August. So during that time, I hope that the listeners can use some of that uh, that extra time they might have to download some of the old episodes and interviews and videos from the archive and uh, to take a listen to them, because there are literally hundreds upon hundreds of hours of backlog of material, and uh, a lot of it is a lot very interesting and um, maybe has not been heard by some of the newer listeners, so... This is the opportunity uh, that you've been waiting for to catch up on some of the work that we've done in the past. And now, uh, once again, we have a lot of information to cover in today's episode, so let's get straight into it. Welcome to episode 194 of the Corbett Report, The Cloud Cometh. As anyone who has not been living under a rock lately will no doubt have noticed, the public is now being presented with the latest link in the chain of technological tyranny, the latest step down the road to total technological enslavement. And once again, this step, as all others before it, is being presented to us in the name of convenience.
2: So, I get to talk about iCloud. We've been working on this for some time now, and we're really excited about it. Um, About 10 years ago, we had one of our most important insights, and that was That the PC was going to become the digital hub for your digital life. What did that mean? Well, it meant that that's where you were going to put your digital photos. Where else were you going to put them? Your digital video off your digital camcorder and, of course, your music, right? You were going to acquire it in the device or potentially on your Mac uh, and you were going to basically sync it to the Mac and everything was going to work fine. And it did, for the better part of ten years. But it's broken down in the last few years. Why? Well, because the devices have changed. They now all have music. They now all have photos. They now all have video. And so if I acquire a song, I buy it right on my iPhone, I want to get that to my other devices. right? I pick up my iPad and it doesn't have that song on it. So I have to sync my iPhone to my Mac, then I have to sync my other devices to the Mac to get that song, but then they've deposited some photos on the Mac, so I have to sync the iPhone again with the Mac to get those photos. And keeping these devices in sync is driving us crazy. <laughs> so. We've got a great solution for this problem, and we think this solution is our next big insight, which is we're going to demote the PC and the Mac to just be a device, just like an iPhone, an iPad or an iPod touch. And we're going to move the digital hub, the center of your digital life, into the cloud because all these new devices have communications built into them. They can all talk to the cloud whenever they want. And so now, if I get something on my iPhone, it's sent up to the cloud immediately. Let's say I take some pictures with it. Those pictures are in the cloud and they are now pushed down to my devices completely automatically. And now everything's in sync with me not even having to think about it. I don't even have to take the devices out of my pocket. I don't have to be near my Mac or PC. Now, some people think the cloud is just a hard disk in the sky. (laughs) Right? And you take a bunch of stuff and you put it in your Dropbox or your iDisk or whatever and it transfers it up to the cloud and stores it and then you drag whatever you want back out on your other devices. We think it's way more than that. And we call it iCloud. Now, iCloud stores your content in the cloud and wirelessly pushes it to all your devices. So it automatically uploads it, stores it, and automatically pushes it to all your other devices. But also, it's completely integrated with your apps. And so everything happens automatically and there's nothing new to learn. It's just all Works.
0: Ah, yes, the truth is on the cloud, Steve Jobs says, and his legions of acolytes applaud spontaneously. And did he mention it just works? Well, yes, certainly we are talking about the cloud and cloud computing and all of the various things related to this very worrying concept today. And I say worrying because of the things that were left out of that presentation, rather unsurprisingly, by Steve Jobs of Apple Computers, talking about the wonderful and amazing new iCloud service, which will allow people to sync their data between all their devices instantaneously without thinking about it. What a wonderful thing. How could anything bad be taken from that? Well, for those of you who are still a bit fuzzy about the concept of cloud computing, what cloud computing might mean, what it does, why people would use it, let's just turn to an article that explains uh, at least some of the concepts here. It's called How Cloud Computing Works, and it's from HowStuffWorks.com. Let's say you're an executive at a large corporation. Your particular responsibilities include making sure that all of your employees have the right hardware and software they need to do their jobs. Buying computers for everyone isn't enough. You also have to purchase software, or software licenses, to give employees the tools they require. Whenever you have a new hire, you have to buy more software or make sure your computer software license allows another user. It's so stressful that you find it difficult to go to sleep on your huge pile of money every night. Soon, there may be an alternative for executives like you. Instead of installing a suite of software for each computer, you'd only have to load one application. That application would allow workers to log into a web-based service which hosts all the programs the users would need to run his or her job. Remote machines owned by another company would run everything from email to word processing to complex data analysis programs. It's called cloud computing, and it could change the entire computer industry. When talking about a cloud computing system, it's helpful to divide it into two sections. The front end and the back end. They connect to each other through a network, usually the internet. The front end is the side the computer user, or client, sees. The back end is the cloud section of the system. The front end includes the client's computer, or computer network, and the application required to access the cloud computing system. Not all cloud computing systems have the same user interface. Services like web-based email programs leverage existing web browsers like Internet Explorer or Firefox. Other systems have unique applications that provide network access to clients. On the back end of the system are the various computers, servers, and data storage systems that create the cloud of computing services. In theory, a cloud computing system could include practically any computer program you can imagine, from data processing to video games. Usually, each application will have its own dedicated server. A central server administers the system, monitoring traffic and client demands to ensure everything runs smoothly. It follows a set of rules called protocols and uses a special kind of software called middleware. Middleware allows networked computers to communicate with each other. Etc., etc., etc. Well, I think you're starting to get the idea of this, and the idea is that as a logical extension of the growing ubiquitous nature of broadband high speed internet access, Well, since we have this internet access, why bother storing everything locally and worrying about all the hassles of... Upgrading applications and making sure we have all our data on all our devices and syncing emails and contacts with different devices. Why, why don't we just keep it all on third-party servers and all of our devices can access those third-party servers through the internet and we can store everything th- over there. And they can take care of all of the headaches and hassles of making sure everything's running and up to speed and up to date. And uh, we don't have to think about anything as Steve Jobs was fond of telling us during his presentation and this is the way that the cloud is being sold to us, as something wonderful and liberating, because we won't have to worry about th- these types of things. Only the eggheads uh, in these third-party companies will, will be safeguarding our data and making sure we get it when we need it. And uh, that's basically the sales pitch for this new type of uh, computing concept, but... As always, there may be something behind this idea that we might want to think about before we start implementing it in our daily lives. Obviously, when we're talking about the idea of uploading our personal data to servers that are hosted by third-party companies somewhere out there, and they are going to be taking care of our information, well, we are obviously running up against some very, very important security and privacy issues, especially now as we're increasingly seeing all of this hacking that's suddenly taking place and becoming front-page news the issue of cybersecurity is becoming more and more important, and the idea of uploading all of our personal data to these servers somewhere out there to be hosted and taken care of by some third-party company that we don't really know anything about, well, that might give some people pause for thought and for concern. And interestingly enough, this, these, these types of concerns are being at least given a lip service type of um, address by companies even like Microsoft.
1: Historically, privacy has been associated with physical access. Your home is your castle. Your person is inviolate. Search warrant is needed to gain access. Those are physical mechanisms rooted in the history of law. But in an electronic world, we need different stories. We have to find some different analogs that respect the privacy of individuals, provide security for their electronic personas, but aren't necessarily rooted in physical possession because Data flows in a global way, rapidly and easily. What we have to do is work through all of those issues and understand that they are an interesting confluence really of three things. Technology, because there are hardware, software, and mathematical issues about how we define privacy and identity and security. There are policy issues and legal issues around acceptable behavior, and that's sort of a global agreement. Uh, and region-specific cultural differences. Uh, And then finally, there are the idiosyncrasies of humans and the fact that we have widely divergent expectations. Some are cultural, some are age-specific. What a teenager might find acceptable to share and what I might find acceptable to share are different things. Now, that teenager may regret it when they're my age that they shared those things, that's a different story. But there are widely divergent cultural expectations, and we have to respect that diversity worldwide. We have to respect the policy issues around those. And we also have to continue to invent the technological solutions that enable those diversities. So one thinks about on-premise clouds, private clouds versus public clouds. There are different dynamics about security because the locus of control and responsibility for security shifts. If I'm operating infrastructure, I assume the responsibility for security. If Microsoft is operating my computing infrastructure in the cloud, Microsoft is assuming responsibility for more of the security. And whether I enter at infrastructure as a service or platform as a service, software as a service, there's a different mix of security responsibility that exists in each of those places. What that means in the cloud space is Microsoft takes responsibility for assuring the users of our cloud services that we are providing security. And that has to be true both when we build on-premise cloud infrastructure and cloud appliances, and it certainly has to be true when we make available hosted services and infrastructure. And that's why this whole stack matters. We think about, in a virtualized world, how do we provide the hardware support that we can attest that the virtual machines we're running are, in fact, the Windows VMs that we've asserted, that they've been uncorrupted by viruses. Uh, And that's true at every level. So we work on every piece of that that equation. It means looking at the next generation of TPMs, the so-called TPM Next, how we drive global standards in that space, because that is the base cryptographic support. How we work with all the hardware vendors, standards bodies, governments worldwide to define that capability is a piece of the story. Just as the work on cryptographic standards and the ability to define those and have public scrutiny so that one can uh, verify that they're not backdoors that one can escape around the the advertised protocol, all of that engagement is part of both the research, the testing, and and the product transition process. So we both build the, the basic components, but we test them at scale and we look at that deployment. Because in the end, when we deploy cloud services, Microsoft reputation is on the line. So it's not just a business guarantee, it's, it's, a, it's a, a business imperative for Microsoft because the key to cloud services is providing that assurance of security. And that's not just a perception issue, it has to be a reality issue.
0: Well, I'm sure you will have noticed there was quite a bit of corporate speak and a lot of jargon and buzzwords thrown in there, but I think the point is well taken that there are grave security implications for the idea of hosting our data and applications and other things remotely, and we are putting a lot of faith in whatever company we choose to do that, whether it be Microsoft or any other elite insider-connected corporation owned by billionaire eugenicists. So... It, it certainly does raise a pan- open a Pandora's box of possibilities here. And it is that Pandora's box that I think we really, really need to be talking about as a society rather than simply going along with whatever the latest implementation of technology is. And it seems at this point quite clear that as our storage devices become smaller and smaller, and the idea of putting all of our data into these devices becomes less and less necessary, what with the fact that we're all connected to the internet at all times people are going to be basically sleepwalking into a system whereby the cloud will come about as default, that we will simply start storing more and more of our lives and our data on these remote third-party servers without even thinking about the implications of that. And as the Microsoft uh, VP of uh, Research and Development there just told us, there are grave security implications that need to be thought out, and we do really have to wonder if we are uh, justified in putting our trust in a company. Uh, to handle all of that data. So as I said, there are a number of privacy and security issues that this type of technology raises. And I think one that we're going to be seeing hyped more and more by the companies that have a vested interest in creating this technological enslavement architecture and infrastructure is probably going to be the issue of user authentication. Because as more and more of our personal data and sometimes extremely important uh, personal information is kept on these third-party servers and in the cloud, so to speak, then it becomes really important for these companies to be able to very much 100% positively identify the user that's logging in. And we're moving into an age where username and password may not be the type of authentication that we're looking for, especially as all of this hacking that's suddenly become front-page news becomes more and more of an issue, while more and more people are going to be turning to other ways to help make sure that they can store their data securely and make sure that no one else can log log in without really being them. And if this raises the specter of biometric authentication in your mind, then give yourself a pat on the back and or a cookie because I think you are exactly on the right track. And for those of you who don't know about biometrics, of course, this is the scientific study of differences, physiological differences between people that can help us to identify individuals. And the uh, classical example of that was fingerprinting. And fingerprints as a biometric marker, the, the study of fingerprints as a biometric marker was really pioneered by Francis Galton, cousin of Charles Darwin and the founder of Social Darwinism, aka Eugenics. And uh, eugenics and biometrics grew up very much in the same milieu, and many of the same people who were pioneering the study of eugenics were pioneering the study of biometrics simultaneously. And this also comes from the failed science, pseudoscience of phrenology and other such things, where we can tell about someone's moral and uh, psychological makeup from their facial and other characteristics, the size and shape of their skull and other such pseudoscience quackery that unfortunately was inevitably used to, to confirm the racial biases of those who were implementing it and uh, un- and once again we're just going to see uh, ourselves being steeped into this biometric world where people are going to be identified by their the shape of their their cornea or their their heartbeat or the way they walk the this the gait that they use when they're walking uh, there are so many different biometric markers that have been proposed that it's actually mind-boggling, and here's one that I just discovered that, I, again, I think is just incredible. The idea that they will soon be able to tell that you are who you say you are by the rhythm with which you type on the keyboard.
3: Authenware's authentication technology determines whether the user of a given set of credentials is who he claims to be based on the typing rhythm of the user. Authenware is a second-factor authentication service based on keystroke dynamics technology and a wide set of heuristics. The service is used to prevent identity thieves from successfully logging into a system with the credentials they have stolen. Authenware's technology constructs, stores, and evolves a personal biometric pattern based on the way a person types credential data, such as their user ID and password, into a field, including their personal typing rhythm, and many more behavioral and environmental characteristics. We call this biometric pattern the Authenware Singularity Pattern. After a certain number of training logins in which Authenware learns to recognize the user's typing nuances and creates the biometric pattern, Authenware can be called to verify a new login and determine if the user is who he claims to be.
0: Well, I for one find that to be pretty mind-boggling stuff and something that I would not have even thought of as a possibility to be implemented as a biometric marker but there you have it and it's important to keep in mind that the very problems that have created this need for this user authentication solution have been being created by the very people who have been pushing the cloud themselves because obviously in a cloud-based universe we need to worry much more about user authentication so... Therefore, the inevitable solution is that we must track and trace and make sure that everyone is who they say they are so that the third-party companies and, oh, by the way, probably the NSA and everyone else who's listening in through the back door, can be made aware of who you are and what you're doing. And if that doesn't send some chills down your spine or set your spidey sense tingling, then you're probably not paying attention and just uh, one of the things that the Microsoft VP was talking about in that earlier clip that should have set off some alarm bells for people was the idea that he was talking about that they, the third-party companies that are hosting these cloud services need to worry about things like backdoors of applications to make sure that no one can have some sort of backdoor access that they can do uh, various things with other people's applications behind, without them knowing. And that's an extremely important thing to keep in mind. Especially in the light of the information that we first gleaned from episode 45 of this podcast, P-TECH and the 9-11 Software. And for anyone who may be listening to this uh, podcast and uh, wondering what to do during the Corbett Report summer hiatus, I would highly recommend going back to that episode because I think it's one of the most important we've ever done. Extremely important information there about how backdoors of applications can be used to incredible surprising unbelievable effect in this cyber security type environment that we're living in and uh, to think that nine eleven was likely partially enabled by the software that was being used in the faa and the pentagon on that morning well think about how much more integrated all of this is into our daily lives now and how much more a cyber false flag attack would be well, it would be reaching into corridors that would have been previously un, un, impossible and unthinkable. But having said all of that, of course, there are a very basic, very simple, very easy to grasp problems with the idea of everything being hosted on third-party servers, and we got a taste of some of that late last year during the entire WikiLeaks soap opera that we saw unfolding before us, and regardless of what you think about WikiLeaks and whether they're controlled opposition or whether you're a Assange supporter, Well, I'm certainly not, but even if you are, the the important thing is that we saw in that story is how easy it is for government to collude with these mega corporations that are hosting the cloud services in order to commit political censorship. And we get that from a TPM Muckraker report from December 1st, 2010, how Lieberman got Amazon to drop WikiLeaks. Quote, Early this week, after hacker attacks on its site, WikiLeaks moved its operation, including all those diplomatic cables, to the greener pastures of Amazon.com's cloud servers. But today, it was down again, and mid-afternoon, we found out the reason. Amazon had axed WikiLeaks from its servers. The announcement came from Senator Joe Lieberman, the chairman of the Senate Homeland Security Committee. Lieberman said in a statement that Amazon's decision to cut off WikiLeaks now is the right decision and should set the standard for other companies WikiLeaks is using to distribute its illegally seized material. Committee staff had seen news reports yesterday that WikiLeaks was being hosted on Amazon's servers, a committee spokeswoman told TPM. The service, we should note, is self-serve. As with services like YouTube, the company does not screen or pre-approve the content posted on its servers. Staffers then, according to the spokeswoman, Leslie Phillips, called Amazon to ask about it and left questions with the press secretary, including, are there plans to take the site down? Amazon called them back this morning to say they had kicked WikiLeaks off, Phillips said. Amazon said the site had violated unspecified terms of use. End quote. Well, again, regardless of what you think of WikiLeaks, what this story shows is that the terms of use of these various companies that we would be signing on to if we do sign up for cloud-based services enables them to basically use any excuse whatsoever for them to take our information and do what they want with it, including memory hole it. So imagine a society in which we live in a completely cloud connected world in which we don't have any storage space for ourselves all of our information is hosted online and imagine if someone did have a sensitive document that they really did need to get out there well if they if they collect that document and it gets sent up to the cloud then it will disappear into the memory hole if the 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 host of that cloud server so chooses and it's very obvious in cases like Amazon and other maids, mainstream big-time big companies like uh, Bill Gates' Microsoft or uh, Google, wh- whose executives go to Bilderberg every year, or PayPal, whose executives go to Bilderberg every year, or other such uh, well-connected inside sources. Well, if they're hosting it and the uh, the governments are try- telling them to take something down, I have very little doubt that it will be taken down. And that's the the nightmare vision of the type of world we're moving into. And that obviously has grave implications for alternative media and for the idea of really putting up any sort of resistance to the uh, enslavement grid through technological means. So there are a number of different uh, issues here and things that we need to sort through and to really think about before we start even beginning to approach this cloud issue. So for more on this issue, I recently had the chance to talk to Alex Jones of Infowars.com, obviously an outspoken critic of the types of draconian internet censorship that are being proposed in this cybersecurity universe that we're increasingly living in. So it was with great interest that I asked Alex Jones about what this really means and what the cloud, what the dangers of the cloud really are.
4: Well, it's like modern uh, form of feudalism or sharecropping, where it's, you basically owe your soul to the company store. And if you go back to 2000, now 11 years ago, they would have the Internet 2 consortium meetings with the top Fortune 100, uh, 50 or so top universities around the world, and uh, the G20 uh, would 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 get together. And they openly said, this is how we're going to control the architecture of the Internet. This is how we're going to centralize it uh, and control it. And cloud computing type systems were described then, uh, though though they weren't called cloud computing. uh, But basically, it's changing the architecture of the Internet, where once they phased in the cloud computing storage type systems, uh, your devices like your iPhones Uh, or your laptop, your computers, they're all getting so small that they aren't even going to have uh, much storage space on them. And they're not going to be able uh, to basically interface uh, with systems that are stored on traditional uh, servers. Basically, uh, what's going to happen is uh, your information will be remotely accessed. Your financial data, songs, uh, photographs, it'll all be stored uh, up on the big mega conglomerate cloud systems. You notice in the same month, last month, Microsoft, uh, uh, Google, Apple, and, and several other big IT giants all announced the move towards the cloud, and then that way they can also create uh, quasi-monopolies over data storage, and then artificially uh, increase the cost because of technology's advances memory is getting cheaper and cheaper, but in a lot of their corporate documents that are public, this is really about uh, forcing you by controlling the architecture to store your data. And uh, with them, and even the Wall Street Journal and and, uh, New York Times have have written articles about Amazon's cloud. They're really one of the pioneers of this uh, system uh, is not secure. And uh, in the contract you sign with them, you waive your rights and they can now use or look at your data uh, and, and, and share it in any way they see fit. You know, we, we wrote a story at PrisonPlanet.com five years ago. MySpace is the Trojan horse of internet censorship. And now it's Facebook and, and uh, other systems uh, or YouTube where, where they become the marketplace, where Google says they want to be the web. You know, Google Android wants to run your house. They want to totally control every facet of your life and the appliances are being designed to interface with it. So you won't have an infowars.com or prisonplanet.com or a Corbett report. Uh, I mean, those will be available, but on the old internet, as they force everything over to quote internet two, and basically start walling off the old internet that is the free uh, and uh, open organic uh, internet. So it's a very draconian centralized system. And to quantify it, Sure, you you could be on MySpace when it was big, but they could arbitrarily censor you so you couldn't send out bulletins or so you couldn't get uh, new members. That happened to us or YouTube. You can be number one on YouTube as we are many days. number one total, and they just don't give us the honors. You know we can show we've had three million views, should be on the front page number one, uh, but we aren't. And, and that's going on today. Uh, where we're supposedly you know number one uh in uh, the uh, news and media section, we're not even in the top one hundred. you can go look at it. We should be number one in the quote guru section aren't even there uh you know somebody who's you know number one place has a fraction of the views we got on one of our channels so we're getting hundreds of millions of views just on one system, and people say, well, it's it's private, so so why should you be complaining? The point is, they say they're taking over the web. They say they're creating monopolies people can't compete with. They are the marketplace. They are the electronic uh, town square, and they're saying that when you sign on with them, I mean, the future of the web is just these big mega conglomerates who then have their own cyber. Uh, ecosystems that you agree to enter on their rules, and then with government and cybersecurity, and Russia is 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 moving in the same direction. So is Europe. Uh, they're basically agreeing to start censoring and shutting down the open, wall wall West internet that that's been the only thing growing in the global economy in the last fifteen years overall. And it's a move to to again start putting up blockades. On those cyber roadways and forcing you on to the company store system where they can track, surveil you, where when you sign up to be able to be on it, you waive all of your rights. Uh, and so that's what this is all about. And I mean, just instinctively and in a common sense, logical level why would you want to store your financials somewhere else? Why would you want to store your photos somewhere else and, and not have the option to, to, you know, store them yourself? Why would you uh, want them to be able to have all your information and say in the agreements that they can uh, do whatever they want? And then there's another big facet to this internet too, that cloud computing, you know, the dark storm clouds are now upon us, not on the horizon, and that's the memory hole. The internet and the printing press, you know, all of these are great technologies, but it's a double-edged sword. It can be used to spew propaganda and disinformation. Uh, if we don't have access to that 21st-century printing press, and they can now alter, they can memory hole, they can falsely claim sites are spam or hacking uh, or or hate uh, or gambling sites when they're not. Uh, and I've already seen that done to uh, my news websites over the years, put into the spam filters uh, and things. We had uh, YouTube, one, one of our channels with 120 plus million views a few weeks ago, say we're going to give you a strike. If you challenge it, uh, we may shut your channel down completely. This is a YouTube strike. Uh, and we are saying you're racist for saying that Obama is a warmongering criminal. And that has been dubbed to be offensive. And I had to send them some letters and uh, you know, uh, you know, basically counter back that I was thinking about litigation before they took the strike away. So, so, so you can see the model of where they're going and all the statements from Lieberman and from Senator Rockefeller uh, and countless others saying we'd be better off without ever inventing an Internet this was a system that the Technocrats thought they would use as a worldwide wiretap to surveil and control us. Now they realize that, that that it's being captured by the alternative media that is fast becoming the only true media and the dominant media. In fact, I saw numbers two years ago that alternative internet had already surpassed all mainline. Uh, news, TV, entertainment, Hollywood, and, and that was two years ago. And so they know that people are becoming aware of this. In fact, uh, if you look at the fact that the Super Bowl, on average, has 65 million viewers, it's the biggest sporting event, uh, or, or 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 one of the biggest in the world. 65 million viewers watch the Super Bowl, and it makes hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars in a single night, four or five hours. Now not just my eight or so YouTube channels now with over 300 million views, and that's just one area of where we're getting the word out. Um, Number one, we don't take ads because then they can censor you even more if you do that. Uh, But i talk to other people that have big YouTube sites, I know some second amendment sites where their average video gets 10 million views. In, in, in fact, I know one site, it's only been up a year, it's got 150 million views. They put about a video out every week, average video now 10 million growing exponentially. Now, these folks in a uh, month are approaching the Super Bowl, uh, and and but but I talk to these sites with ads. They might for twenty million views get five ten thousand dollars. So so see that's another mass mind control system, uh, and and fraud is that when you put an ad in, say the local Austin American Statesman where I live for employees, which I've done 300, 400 bucks to have a short ad, maybe two or three respondents, total crud. I put an ad in Craigslist, which is, for all intents and purposes, free. I know they charge a little now. And I get hundreds and hundreds of responses, a lot of them good. So they, the system kind of built something that's destroying them. They thought it would be their tracking system to predict mass movements, and it has been. But all it's now predicting for them is their sure collapse uh, and demise. And uh, I got news for the social engineers. It's over. You know, you can't put the genie back in the bottle. You know, you can't even try to uh, you know, ride out this revolution. Uh, and so all you can do now is try to you know, shut down the web and that's not going to work. People are going to find out that you're trying to censor the truth and they're going to uh, search for it that much, that much harder. Google admittedly changed their algorithm to block content farms. Well, I mean, a lot of our stuff's original, but a lot of it is also alternative media that you know that we link to and the mainstream news that we then post blurbs of that people then have debates and analyze. And so it's a college of awakening and debate. Uh, and, that, and, and the Drudge Report's the same thing. And they've said, we're changing our algorithm to target the Drudge Report, and InfoWars and sites like that. And, and now they're doing it and they're lowering our ratings so that even our own stories won't show up. Uh, And and I'm noticing overall, Google doesn't work as well as it used to just searching for general information because they're having to start trying to tighten it down. They were very arrogant and thought that, "Ah, let them have, you know, let them have this Rosetta Stone of knowledge. They're too dumbed down to ever use it. But people are learning how to use it. And uh, they're panicking. So they're they're moving towards the kill switch and they're launching lots of fake cyber attacks against themselves. uh, False flags as the pretext for it. Uh, But uh, people have had a taste of true diversity and and are outside the left, right, tiny box. And uh, so the days of the elite are numbered.
0: Well you're exactly right I think in that assessment um uh, it's also been happening to the the Corbett Report YouTube channel we have over 19,000 subscribers right now it should put us about the 87th most subscribed channel in Japan but for no apparent reason they've just taken all the honors off of our channel um it, with the Apple iTunes store for no apparent reason changed the URL on the Corbett Report podcast uh, so it was a non-functional and then they just removed the podcast altogether and they won't put it back up so um
4: Oh yeah we've we've uh, uh, over the years been contacted by companies you know, that will submit and make sure it's all in the right specs, your films uh, to the iTunes video store, you know, to get the word out. And we noticed two, three times they would refuse the Obama deception. And we had an outside company look at it and they said, you did this exactly right to the exact specs. And they were just lying over and over again and taking our thousand dollar filing fee as a sick joke. And, and, refusing it and and you know letting our seafood rot on the dock uh you know as a way to quote you know uh, inspect it later once it had died uh, you know uh, once it had gotten rotten and, and and you talk about how they're doing that when I talk about how they knock us out whenever we're number one or even in the you know top 10, which is every day of all these different areas, I say, well, what do you care about an honor? What do you care about your trophy that you're the winner? The point is we were always on news and politics and gurus and all these other channels and uh, education areas in the top three or four. And that's where people that go into YouTube off the front page TV guide. That's how they channel surf. You go to the front page. And you know, out of these hundreds of millions, probably billions of videos, and you go in. A lot of people go and say, "Well, I want to see most viewed news and politics." You know, because it's YouTube. It's people voting by watching uh, for what they think is the most interesting. And in the past, whatever was number one was generally you know something that was pretty amazing. Now it's all force-fed Lady Gaga and Obama video announcements because they'll put an, an Obama video in News and Education that has a 1,000 views, and I'll have one that has a million in three days, and it's just nowhere there. So, so it's not just that they're taking our honors away. They're take, by taking the honors away, You know, we win the soccer game, we win the football game, we win the basketball game, and we're not even in the rankings so that when people go in there and look, they can't see, oh, look, in, in you know, in seven or eight categories, Alex Jones and his one channel is number one. That's what they're doing to try to dampen us. And then people argue, well, you should just leave YouTube, do an alternative. We do put our information other places. I mean, I mean, I, I have a subscription site, except to pay for the bandwidth, PrisonPlanet.tv. I lose. I've had consultants tell me, and I already know this, that I'd have more subscribers than Glenn Beck does, Glenn Beck TV, if I didn't put everything that we put there on on on, on YouTube. But I do it because I care about the information. That's my passion at the end of the day. And it's just so frustrating to know in the intellectual marketplace of ideas, we are winning, 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 winning. And then YouTube fraudulently violates their own rules, knocks us out of the rankings, and then pretends that they're not being evil, pretends that they're this open thing called YouTube. And and, and so YouTube is more than half of videos watched worldwide it's where the people are. You know, they asked uh, Dillinger, "Why do you rob banks?" And he said, "It's where the money is." We're there, reaching into the matrix, reaching into the board corporate structure that built itself off being grassroots. You uh, YouTube, and we followed all their rules, and they cheat us. And 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 and, and uh, this is the big news: um, Cisco, uh, Microsoft, Google, Yahoo. Uh, all these big companies are on record. In fact, was in the Wall Street Journal today uh, with Cisco, with uh, what five hundred thousand cameras to spy on the public. They have helped the Chinese build their control grid of censorship, and and so so now they're just shutting that up here. That's what cybersecurity is with the four branches of the military watching and tracking and controlling everything we're doing. Uh, and so I want to challenge everyone: don't just subscribe to our YouTube channel at uh, the Alex Jones channel on YouTube. Uh, take all of our videos. Uh, and 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 mirror them on your site. A lot of times we'll even link to somebody else's video that's a copy of ours on Infowars or Prison Planet to send a lot of people to it because it, it, I don't care. Uh, in fact, it, it's not that I don't care. I want you to take our information and, and our material. I don't get mad that 15 years ago, no one was talking about eugenics and the global planetary operation. I was reading a lot of the original source documents. Uh, that, that, you know, that no one was talking about cancer viruses and the vaccines, uh, and, and these things. And the fact that I've popularized reality, uh, I I mean, you know, the fact that I even have people a decade later, you know, attacking me saying Alex took my material and I know full well, you know, that I made films over a decade ago, pioneering that information or going like we are change does and confronting politicians and going into press conferences, the reason I pioneered so many of these things is I was just looking for a way to reach out to people. I was looking for new ways to warn people because my heart's been in the right place. Human survival, human dignity, building something better. Uh, and so I, I people shouldn't territorialize any of this information. This is so horrific what we're facing with these eugenicists and world population reduction, the, the, the cancer rates doubling the last 10 years, the diabetes rates doubling the last 10 years. None of the egos, none of this matters. We are in a fight for our lives against social Darwinists that are completely cold-blooded. We are in a scientific dictatorship with a breakaway civilization on a power trip playing God. We are in a red-level emergency, and it is great news at one level that we're being censored and attacked and you are as well, because it means you're over the target. When you're over the target, you're going to get the flack when you're dropping those info bombs and, and the system wants to make things violent. They want to foment revolution. They want to foment provocateurs. We've got to keep this peaceful as long as we can to try to wake up as many people as we can, uh, so that we can, you know, avert uh, the real calamities that are going to make what's happened so far, look tame in comparison. And just the great work you're doing is a boon to all of, of, of free humanity, uh, my friend. But ladies and gentlemen, you know you won't know what you got till it's gone. They are coming in now and beta testing the algorithms, the censorship systems, the dirty tricks to kill and stop viral videos. They are scared that, that I can sit here with my little uh, digital devil, uh, not digital angel, but my little guardian devil that tracks everything I do, and that I could shoot a video uh, you know, at midnight if I've got a thought and that 50,000 people are going to watch it. Or that if we put out a highly produced video, a million are going to watch it. They're scared that I can get up here and read all the mainline studies that autism is being triggered, not just by mercury in the vaccines, but by uh, the um, antidepressants that are a toxic chemical. They're mad that you know, major medical journals are coming out and confirming the U.S. has the highest infant mortality rate because of vaccines. Because those big reports come out by good scientists at universities, and it's now ignored by the dinosaur media, but it's not ignored by us. They can't have this one-sided playing field anymore. And 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 four or five years ago, I knew we were winning. I knew we were absolutely crushing the globalists, but they were so arrogant, they were still, you know, not aware of it. I was always worried that when they figured it out, the inroads we'd made in waking people up and unlocking minds that they would clamp things down. Uh, And and, and now they figured it out and they're starting it. But the clamp down, if we scream bloody murder is going to be the biggest awakening ever. You know, people think because we're attacked over and over again that, Oh my gosh, we attack, you know, them back and then they attack us. That's what a fight's about. It's like tug of war, you know, with two dogs, you know, pulling on a rope. It's who wants it most. Who's got the will to stand up against this evil and this corruption. And if, if people want to know where, to, where they're going to get the will to face evil, just commit yourself and decide it's over. You don't care what the outcome is. You're going 110% against these people. And that is the essence of will. And, 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 that's what we've got to do, and so other people like yourself. I mean, look what you've been doing the last few years. Now reaching millions of people every month in the aggregate with your podcast, your videos. Start more, do more. Start, start shooting with your, you know, your, your, your phone when you go to work every day. Uh, increase the output. Talk to people at grocery store lines. I know you're doing it, but now I am intensifying everything I'm doing. Launching the new TV show in the next few months. Uh, we're just. We're just because because we are alive now. We'll rest forever once we're dead for trillions of years in the grave. But we're alive now and we cannot let these sicko control freaks dominate us. We cannot let these criminals arrogantly destroy our language, uh, destroy our cultures all over the world and replace it with their globalist corporate Borg system of death. We must resist. We must wake up and fight back. I appreciate you having me on.
0: Once again, Alex Jones of Infowars.com, and that audio comes from a video interview that I conducted the other day with Alex, and the video itself will be being posted not only to youtube.com slash Corbett Report, but of course to CorbettReport.com in the coming days, and I suggest you do check that out because that is only actually the first uh, two thirds of the interview, there's another ten minutes or so of conversation, so um, it's quite a detailed interview. And I think the the main points and the main points of concern for alternative media are quite well addressed there. The idea of this Orwellian system where all of our data is controlled by third parties cannot mean anything other than wide-scale political censorship, and the idea of centralizing all of this data in the hands of these corporations that are clearly no friends of humanity should be worrying and troubling in itself. Now this is an issue that I also had the chance to go into with Aaron Franz, the documentary filmmaker behind a documentary called The Age of Transitions, and he also runs a website called theageoftransitions.com where you can not only watch that documentary, but you can also listen to his new I think weekly podcast, Transresistor Radio, and uh, people might be familiar with the fact that I recently appeared on Transresistor Radio, so you can check that out in his archives. And you can also order a copy of his book, Revolve, Man's Scientific Rise to Godhood. And we definitely had a very interesting and quite wide-ranging conversation about the cloud and the various issues that it raises, and also how people can resist this type of technological tyranny as more and more our lives and our technology are being engineered to take the cloud into account.
5: It's sort of the amalgamation of the internet and personal computing. And uh, this has been an ongoing process for some years. I mean, so many services online are about uploading your content and then you sort of work with their uh, content management systems, like even YouTube and all this is, is like that. So, so uh, f- for, for content producers, there, there are people already concerned with um, issues over ownership of content because when, when you load your content that you produce or just whatever you even have on your computer, it's not even really a production, it's just information. When you load it all onto the cloud, then it's not yours anymore. It's it's all there. And it's obviously we can see this, this is about... Uh, well, when it comes to databasing... People's personal information and this makes things that much easier and more complete really, because everything's all in one source now, so that that is, of course is an
0: issue. Of, of course, it's always the, the main issue, isn't it? I mean, when, when they refer to the cloud as a singular entity, maybe that's because really the back door, I mean, every, the NSA is going to have its, you know, all-seeing eye penetrating into every nook and cranny of the internet as we know. So, so really, I mean, we're storing all of our personal details in this system that, that can and will and has been shown to be vulnerable to all sorts of security violations, not only by the, the, uh, you know, criminals and hackers, but also by the government itself.
5: Yeah, absolutely. And the security risks of this system and any other uh internet or computer services, all those security risks that exist are actually potential excuses to centralize uh these services even more under government authority or regulation because, you know, if some horrible thing were to happen, some uh whatever uh again this gets into cybersecurity like we were talking to last talking about last time. It's it's the same thing. So, so all these potential security risks, privacy risks, could be the actual uh, excuse used to centralize this thing even more and create one, uh, uh, whether it be through uh, cyber command or whatever, you know what I mean, just one centralized authority to, to uh, ensure people's... Uh, Safety. Not so much their privacy, but uh, their, their safety from whatever uh, digital terrorists or whatever may be lurking out there to get them.
0: Right, and and on that note, I mean, obviously we've seen the the creation in recent months, uh, and especially in recent weeks, of this, uh, you know, cyber boogie threat of, you know, Anonymous and LulzSec and all of these things that are defacing all these mainstream websites and things. So so we're starting to see the the build-up to what will inevitably be the inevitable response which is the cybersecurity type legislation that they already have in the wings and we know they're just waiting for an excuse to implement so so there's definitely a ratcheting up going on in recent weeks
5: yeah absolutely i've noticed that myself with all these stories and you have to wonder and we we have to remember with the false flag terrorism understanding the reality of that i mean this could be false flag digital terrorism and it it seems as though they are preparing us now psychologically uh, for for that to happen at some point. They 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 want us to believe it's an inevitability, and here we are, you and I, James, speaking as though it is an inevitability. You know and I mean, so in a way, like uh, we're I don't want to say we're playing into it, but we're we're definitely forecasting that. But the 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 way to get through this, I, I guess, is just to. To know that false flag terrorism is a tool, it it has been used in the past, it uh, will be used in the future, it will always be used, and the way to defuse it, I guess, is to constantly call it out and be able to call it out when it happens, and that can be a real challenge,
0: but we have to do that. Exactly. I mean, that's exactly the point. I, I liken it to a magician's trick, and a magician's tricks are always, always of course, incredible and amazing when you're watching them, but if uh, if someone gets up on stage before the trick happens and explains to you exactly how they're going to do this and that it's all an illusion and just you know, watch his left hand when he's doing this thing with his right hand, and if you know the trick in advance, then it's really not so amazing and you just think, oh, well, I see the trick. So <laughs> that's that, to me, is the point. We have to show that it is a trick, and whether, whether it's a staged event or a provocateur, of event or something that they allow to happen, we we already know they have this legislation just waiting to to come along at the you know as the solution to the the problem that they've helped to foment into existence. And uh, once people realize that, I mean, the trick's out of the bag, and and they really can't use it anymore.
5: Yes, absolutely. Yeah, and um, so we we got to keep uh, keep at it, keep uh, showing the truth here, and also that um, just the way things are going are towards centralization, as we can see. I would, the personal computer isn't so personal anymore. <laughs> if it ever was, yeah. Yeah, exactly, right. exactly.
0: Well, so yeah, so let's get into that issue. I mean, I'm, what the cloud really represents the idea of centralization of all this information and everything. And ultimately, isn't that really one of the main aims of, of the transhumanist agenda, to start this kind of collective Borg-type entity that, uh, that eventually we're all going to merge with?
5: Well, yeah, that's an excellent point. Um, their, one of their big ideas is this hive mind global consciousness thing where through some digital means, um, computers, virtual reality, whatever uh, our minds will be hooked up together somehow so that we can actually directly communicate through some technological medium so so uh, and, and more than that we can once we're connected to that, we can um, sort of uh, blend blend our personality with the greater uh, hive mind that whatever that would be, you know what I mean? So so you become this super entity and the idea, the benefit, the potential benefit is that we would be able to solve problems that no individual could and we would grow and become this uh, amazingly intelligent thing and uh, <laughs> so uh, I can I can see how this fits into the whole hive mind idea
0: you know, it strikes me that one of the ways that transhumanism really propagates and thrives is that just so many of the ideas sound so ridiculous that if you're telling <laughs> people about them, they'll just they'll just dismiss it. Oh, that's ridiculous! I can't believe that. But when, <laughs> well, yeah.
2: yeah,
5: yeah, absolutely. It's it's funny. It's true. They they do sound pretty out there. But at the same time, they also say some practical things too, and they they uh, call for things such as surveillance. Uh, they say that these things are good and. Su- The idea of surveillance is basically uh, everybody's tracked because of the digital age we live in, Um, uh, digital records of our entire lives basically um, are in existence. Um, The idea is to use those to um, make everybody be able to surveil everyone else at all times. and This is supposedly a good thing because people will be monitoring each other and uh, will be safe and will actually uh, the idea is also that we'll be able to monitor government and see what they're doing and everything will be transparent and open and it's a wonderful thing so they do call for these things too
0: yeah yeah because I'm sure that you know the the people in positions of power will have the exact same type of tracking on them <laughs> and it'll work in the same way right <laughs> that's <Yeah>. the idea <laughs> mm, right? Once again, Aaron Franz of of theageoftransitions.com. Now, we've been looking specifically at cloud computing today and and the idea of hosting all our data on the cloud. But there are, of course, so many different interlocking aspects to this technological enslavement grid that it's difficult to even begin to get our minds wrapped around And it includes such things as the grid, which we talked about in an earlier episode of this podcast, The Grid Cometh. And to think of the combination of the grid and the cloud, well, basically it means that every aspect of every part of our daily lives will be completely 100% observable and monitorable by the types of uh, agencies that have the backdoor access to all parts of the internet, such as the NSA, which is admittedly, on the record, scooping up the entire data flowing through the main data centers in the, in the United States. So what does that mean for you and me? Well, if you're listening to my voice right now, it almost certainly means that you are at least partially inserted into this matrix of control because you are sitting there with your access to your iPod or your computer or what have you and you're listening to me. And uh, that probably means that you are in some way steeped in this and you are going to increasingly be being steeped in this as we move further and further into this system. And as I've uh, talked about today, yes, we're probably being led in the direction of the cloud just by default as companies start to remove storage capabilities from these devices, and we just take it for granted that every everything we do will be stored on a uh, remotely accessible server. And of course we will be always at all times reminded how convenient and wonderful this is, except for those instances where they want us to think about cybersecurity so that they can influence uh, our our ourselves, our, our society into accepting even greater strict of control and control on access and uh, the implementation of biotechnology, biometric technologies. So It is part of a system that is so wide, so large, so expensive, so mind-boggling that it's impossible to encapsulate in an episode of a podcast like this, but I hope we have at least opened up some of the possibilities and questions around this issue, because once again, I certainly don't have all of the answers to what's going on, but I know that a big step in this process is simply to get people thinking about these issues and talking about these issues, because people who are at least aware of the security and privacy issues that are inherent in technology like this, will be looking at a, with a critical eye at the ridiculous hero worship of people like Steve Jobs who come along and say, the, clou- the truth is on the cloud and it just works and everyone applauds like mindless idiots. Well, that will happen a whole lot less if people are informed about the issues and taking a look critically at what these companies are doing, what these mega corporations are doing supposedly in our best interests. So there is much, 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 much more to be said on this issue, but again, I will leave you to begin exploring the issue for yourself because I know that all of you out there are competent researchers in and on your own behalf and you do not need me to tell you what to look up. So let's leave it there for now and let's together start constructing the type of technological future we want to live in rather than the one that we are simply being inserted into. That's it for this week. I am your host, James Corbett, thanking you very much for joining me and asking you to join me again next week for another edition
2: of The Corbett Report.